Greetings and welcome to the Wizard in the World podcast. I'm joined today by a very good friend of mine who also happens to be a lawyer, but most of all is one of the most phenomenal humans that I know. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you um, for coming on. <laughs> I don't know about phenomenal. I mean, I did have some anxiety. This might be a narcissistic exercise for me joining. <laughs> so with that reservation in mind, I just want to note that. Um, thank you for having me. You know what? I actually want to touch on that first because I think it's such an, it's so funny because often we discuss issues of self-worth. I mean, you and me, but also in the general kind of context of the world. And you sometimes say, is that narcissistic? I think there are some people who maybe don't have a strong core of self-worth and then struggle with anything. They say, oh, no, I'm a narcissist. But the thing is, a narcissist would never say, oh, I'm a narcissist. A clever one might. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think you're a clever one. You don't think I'm clever? clever I don't think you're a... <laughs> clever enough to be a clever narcissist. I, I mean, don't I, think you. I do find I do find that if you can note these things, you take the sting out of them. People find it entertaining. I think you are phenomenal, and I think it's okay to acknowledge that or to receive. I mean, it's that's actually also something you know. It's struggling to receive. You know, you'll give compliments and you'll be so warm, but then you've also got to be able to let people say the same about you, and to not feel. <laughs> that there's something untoward. It's like, you know, sometimes when someone's really nice to you, you think, oh my gosh, what do they want? Yeah. And they Certainly don't want that's anything. How I, so, I know, I know. I did see a very good meme a while ago about somebody indicating that their therapist liked them and they thought, oh my God, I tripped you as well as everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> uh it's, well, it's, that's actually also very interesting because the therapeutic relationship is obviously a mirror for relationships outside of it. And I know with my therapist, when we became, I mean, obviously I saw it for years and years, so we became friendly over the years. And when that kind of friendliness set in, I do remember thinking, oh, wait, is this appropriate? Is this ethical? But, you know, that that is, again, I think because we're so used to having the kind of, maybe from our job, this the separation or this, you know, mental barrier yeah I don't know but one of the things I wanted to talk about today is actually how we met or you know what came up out of when we first met so we met on a legal course and I had started dating someone that I'd met on Bumble and he was he's the first and only person I've actually ever met on an app it's just so ironic because shall I tell the story or shall you yeah, no, sorry, go, go ahead. So design. what was so so funny from, from my perspective was the way, you know, we always talk about the way that life turns out and that life is divinely intelligent. So I met this guy on Bumble and I, I'd paid for the premium version, which basically meant at the time that instead of having to swipe through everyone, you could see who had already liked you. And that's how I met this guy. We'll call him Bumble Boy. And we dated for a few months. We split up. We got back together. I mean, I look back now and it was probably quite an immature relationship, but at the time it felt so meaningful as most things in your kind of early to mid twenties do. And I remember you and I had a conversation and you were so inspired <laughs> by me having found quote unquote love on Bumble that you decided to sign up too. 
Well, no, I, I, I think that I had actually been on Bumble, but you persuaded me to pay for the subscription um, so, that I, so that my dating life would be more efficient. So it was actually on your advice, pretty robust advice, that I would pay to see who would like me in advance. Again, another narcissistic exercise. <laughs> Um, and I went on to Bumble and I paid for the subscription and obviously you'd sent me photographs of him before I don't think I met him at that point Um, and lo and behold once I'd signed up to it there he was having um, signed up to the same well had he had he signed up to the same subscription I don't think so but he'd liked you he'd liked liked you yeah Um, because we also didn't live that far away because I was in West London so that was a tricky conversation. <laughs> I was devastated. I was devastated. And you know what's so funny is that I really, I resented you a lot at the time, not for telling me. I was so happy you told me, but it, there was also this human kind of like, oh my goodness. I think it's such a, it's such a very, like, I think it's a very kind of younger female reaction, which is, are you telling me this because you want to hurt me? Because the immature self doesn't want things to be taken away. Whereas now, and with time, it's one of the things that I love you the most for, which was having the courage and the honesty to tell me, because I think a lot of people would have shied away from it. Yeah. But what was funny is that <laughs> when, <laughs> when you told me, we both went through quite a lawyer exercise, you know, which was, well, are you sure? And how long have you joined? And, you know, then looking at the pictures and the profile, and was it recent, was it not recent? And then realizing that it was, it was very recent and the, yeah. it stung all the more because he told me months before he was like I'm not on Bumble anymore and we should both get off Bumble and anyway so I felt really deceived and what was funny is I remember when I realized what you were saying was was true which was I mean pretty much immediately because I knew you know he wouldn't be lying about it I sent him a message and I was like I've got to see you it's it's urgent and I went round to his house and he basically was panicked because he thought, because I was so panicked, he thought I was pregnant. He was like, I'm not ready to be a dad. I'm not ready to be a dad. (laughs) So sorry, he he was actually relieved when you told him what the real issue was. (laughs) It's interesting. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, and so I, I don't know if I would do it the same way now, but at the time I didn't kind of come out with it straight away. I decided to cross-examine him a little bit. So I started by saying, you know, (laughs) it was awful. I was like, you know, so how are you feeling? He was like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, but you're not pregnant. I was like, I'm not pregnant. It's all good. He's like, right, okay. I said, are you happy in the relationship? He's like, yeah, absolutely. I said, are you sure? He's like, yeah, of course I'm sure. And I said, "Are are you looking to be out of the relationship in any way? And he was like, no, no, not at all. And again, I was like, are you sure? He's like, yes. And, I, and I'm like, so you're not doing anything that could be even perceived as kind of looking outside of the relationship. It's like, no, no, of course not. Of course not. I said, well, it's so funny because my friend has matched with you on Bumble. Well, like you've liked her or whatever. And I could see his face and he basically started to try to deny it. It'll be like, oh, it's an old account or it's from before. And I was like, no, because she's only recently joined or recently paid for whatever. And you know, I had seen the picture, so I knew they were they were recent. And it was so amazing because I could see, I could literally see his brain working, trying to see if he would be able to get himself out of it. But basically, <laughs> after like the questioning or whatever, I could just see the mind going. 
And then he realized he wasn't going to get out of it. And so he admitted defeat kind of thing. What are the odds in a city of how many million people yeah. that, that would happen? But I'm well, so also, grateful for it now. Mm. Yeah. I mean, well, also the serendipity of it, that you would be the person that would prompt me to pay for the subscription. <laughs> um, it's just utterly bizarre. And I'd be pretty cynical about fate and all of those type of feelings but I have to say I was a bit surprised myself by it all but it's interesting you say about resentment because mm. that it might have occurred to you that I would have wanted to tell you that to hurt me because because mm. that would never enter my mind my my I would never even have a moment of doubt about telling a, a male or female friend if I thought their partner was dishonest or unfaithful and I actually had a an even more serious episode where one best friend um, told me and showed me screenshots of my other best friend's husband of inappropriate messages. Um, mm. And it never once occurred to me that I wouldn't tell her and that I would be telling her to hurt her in any way. But I wanted her to know the facts of who she was with and whatever decision she came to would be up to her and I would respect that and that's what I went on to do and I treat both her husband and her normally as I did because I respect their autonomy to make those decisions for themselves but Mm. always that the person would be informed. I think it's courage on your part because I think a lot of people would actually not tell someone because they would be afraid of the reaction, afraid of being blamed. I mean I had something within the last year where a friend of mine Again, a complicated situation, but but something that I felt I needed to tell her. And everyone said, no, don't say anything. And in the end, I did, because I would always want to know myself. And like I said, you know, with maturity and time, and even at the time, I was so grateful to you for telling me. But I do think you've got to be aware of that person having an emotional reaction that's maybe disproportionate, because it's emotional, you know? Mm, it's not yeah. rational. You, you're, <laughs> you're grieving a loss. And obviously, the reason that there is that loss, for example, with Bumble Boy was because he was a, an asshole who, you know, and, and thank God I didn't end up with him. But at the time that you're grieving and you have emotion towards someone, you know, the reason it's ended is because someone's told you something. And so obviously there's a part of the brain that's like, oh, fuck, this person told me this. Which is why yeah. I think actually a lot of women probably end up knowing, for example, that their husbands are having an affair, but just never asking because they'd rather not know because if they then know they have to do something about it. Mm. Yeah. Well, I suppose it comes back to what your own value system is. I mean, Mm. I would have pretty black and white values on those issues so that I don't even question myself on whether I would let somebody know. And, you know, obviously I understand that there might be an emotional response, but I would expect if they are in my life that they share broadly similar values and that they would come around eventually. Mm. I mean, and something... the price—the price is just too high for not telling them. You know, well, especially if they found out that you knew and then you didn't say anything. Well, no, I don't consider it about me. It's not about me at all. It's about the fact that the person to whom they are supposed to be most loyal is disloyal and unfaithful. And mm. I do. I would. I, I. I don't question myself in that scenario because I don't think I'm relevant. But I think that the person is entitled to know, particularly somebody close to me. Mm. Um, who they are in a relationship and if they want to stay with that person then that's fine but at least it's an informed decision Mm. Um, I was just going to say that 
people have different interpretations of loyalty and you know people can get into difficulty when they partner with somebody who sees loyalty and fidelity in a different way to them and so that's why it probably is helpful to be very clear about what your own boundaries are and to have a discussion with your partner at the outset or at least early on about your expectations and boundaries so that they are informed and if they want to violate them then you can then at least make a decision about whether you want to stay or how you go about enforcing them. Um, mm. At least there's clarity. Mm. What I was going to say was um, around the sharing thing, because I think that is one of your strengths, which is not being fearful of the other's response. Because as you said, you're doing it, you know, you're so clear on why you're doing it. I know that I've struggled more in, in communicating challenging things sometimes. As someone once said to me, as long as you're communicating something with honesty and kindness and compassion, how the other person receives it is really not your problem. And it sounds very basic, but that's actually something that had a huge impact in me being able to communicate much more honestly. Well, so, I okay. suppose it goes, it goes back to what you say about wives who don't want to, or husbands indeed, who don't want to ask who don't to know. Out, who don't want to know because they're afraid of the answer. And I suppose that's similar to people who don't want to enforce boundaries because if they did they're afraid of the implications that it would bring about the, you know the end of the relationship I suppose m maturity is getting to a stage where you're strong enough to be able to do that yeah and to take responsibility for your choices because what I also noticed was how many people can be afraid or challenged by your own situation so you know for example you have a breakup and then everybody panics because of what it means for their relationship because actually deep down they're not really that secure or maybe you do something creative and then people think oh fuck I haven't done anything creative in a long time you know it's we also forget that our we can trigger people in so many ways that we're completely unaware of but I think especially with with grief with loss with all of those topics that are very you know, they're the most shared human experience and yet they're the ones that we're the least comfortable talking about. And everybody kind of pretends that it doesn't happen to them or, you know, that they haven't been heartbroken or, I don't know, it's a bit weird. We kind of live in this world where we just want to focus on, we just pretend everything's fine all the time. Yeah. But we all go through it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose that's why art has all of the pull that it does. Mm. You know, you know, literature, movies, art, they provoke something and, you know, the shared human experience. So and mm. um, that's true, too. And I suppose one complicating factor as well nowadays is that there's so much information. There's so many opinions mm. that people can probably become a little bit overwhelmed about how they move through all of the various options that they have and the various viewpoints that they could adopt and how do they find their way through to make the decision that's right for them. Um, mm. And so sometimes I think there might be an inclination to seek too much opinion and too much reassurance and not enough sitting with yourself um, and being quiet with yourself so that you can... Absolutely. And, and answer your own questions, if that makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. And Instagram psychology. I mean, you know, if we took... Well, I know that you're not really on Instagram, but sometimes you see with these posts and they're just... Honestly, they're mental. I don't know who these people are that write them, but it is such bad advice <laughs> on so many levels. And then everybody kind of just shares this and there's no 
there's no like critical analysis of where is this information actually coming from? <clears throat> I mean, I think it's actually, maybe you said this to me, which was why would you take it? Maybe it was um, one of my very, very good friends, but who said, why would you take someone's opinion when you don't, basically when they don't share your value system or they don't have a life that you admire? Mm. And I think it's the same for stuff you find online. Like, who are these people writing this stuff? You know, what kind of life do they live? And it's so easy to have a soundbite. Although it reminds me of that meme that I love, which was <laughs> Beyonce. Something, it says something like, Beyonce has you all in a circle singing about being single ladies while she goes back home to her husband. <laughs> who had an affair. <laughs> who, who had an affair. But you know what? Yeah. I found that so interesting because I know that you have a, a love, I don't know if it's love-hate is fair, but... I obviously adore Esther Perel and I know that you're you're less keen on everything that she says, but she did do a very interesting article about Beyonce's choice to stay with Jay-Z and mm. the way it, and how it provoked so many different people in a different way, because we do live in a culture and a society where it's kind of like, you know, fuck it, move on, buy whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I said, I mean, I remember working with a man once who was, had been married for 30 something years and he said to me, I said, you know, what's the secret? And he said, forgiveness. And I don't think either of them had ever done anything particularly atrocious, but he was just saying that basically even in a 50-year marriage that seems quote-unquote perfect, you'll have times where you've been let down or disappointed or, you know, because you you evolve and change and, and no one is no one's perfect all the time. It's funny, actually, because this weekend I was talking to someone and they were telling me about how they've just started therapy. And I think we, we can all relate to this. You know, when you start therapy and you're kind of like, my parents have fucked me up. You know, it's all their fault. And I was saying, okay, but you've got to move past it and just forgive them because one of the most, again, it's so simple, but it we forget. Is I remember someone saying to me, no parent wakes up in the morning and thinks I really want to fuck up my child today. You know, mm. they're just, they're doing the best that they can at the time that they can. And you can understand why you have different reactions based on your parents, but you can't use that as an excuse for the way that you live your life today. You kind of have yeah. to transcend it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, what, what in your view are the kind of components of forgiveness? How does somebody get to forgiveness? I mean, it seems to me mm. that at least un understanding is a core component of forgiveness for me. So if I can understand why somebody may have done or failed to do something that's been hurtful then I find it much easier to get to forgiveness but if I can't understand why they did it I find forgiveness mm. very difficult so in those circumstances how do you get to forgiveness I mean just saying oh just forgive them it, that, that I mean it doesn't work for me like when someone yeah. tells me just just relax it doesn't work um I, so how, I think how, mm, yeah, how do you get there for me it's a bit of a mix so it is a choice and I think there's, there's, you do choose to forgive someone and you may not be ready to forgive them immediately and that's fine, but, but it's a knowing that you can choose to whenever you want to. There's a great saying, I think it's attributed to different people. I think it's the Buddha, some people say it's someone else, but anyway, that says that holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Yeah. And I know that I struggled to forgive many people. I mean, I, I would actually say forgiveness is probably one of the things, especially like through my youth that I was, I was very, I just found it near impossible to forgive someone. I just, you know, if, if, if I felt that something had been 
or that I'd been very hurt in some way. It was just like, there was no kind of discussion about it. It was just done. And I would probably carry that resentment for a while. Now, the way I do it is I, I think it's a change in perspective. You know, it's, um, it's a deep, it comes from a deep faith and knowing that everything is happening for my highest good. And that maybe sounds a bit woo woo or a bit spiritual, but that is, I think, what's changed things for me in the way that I view things. And so I no longer see someone as kind of actively harming me, but maybe just as a as a as a trigger point or a character, they're doing the best that they can in that moment. Mm. I actually have no understanding. Like I've given up on understanding. When I was um dated a couple of lawyers who it turned out had basically been like the least honest people I've met in my life. I was for so long stuck in this cycle or this loop because I kept trying to understand why they would have behaved that way or said certain things. And what brought me peace was just accepting that I didn't need to understand. Like their crazy was not my problem. Mm. And understanding that we don't all have the same values, <clears throat> we don't all think the same way. And again, just being grateful that it had ended that way in the sense that it hadn't gone on any longer. I know that I was making myself feel so much more risible the longer that I tried to understand. And the second that I actually made peace with the fact that I wouldn't understand and I didn't have to carry that anger against them, I just felt so much better. And mm. so, you know, why wouldn't I do that? And like, mm. I don't harbor any resentment. And one of the things that really helped me was a, a friend who was with someone, it was very serious, they split up and she found out he was seeing someone else. And I said, you know, how did you react? And she called him about it. And I said, what did you say? And her response was honestly mind-blowing because I think most people would be like, oh my God, what the fuck? You know, how dare you? And she just said, you know what? I told him that I loved him, but that I really wanted him to be happy. And if he was happier with this person or if she made him happier than I made him, then that's all I could ever wish for. And I felt so much gratitude and peace because I have, because she, she was saying, I know that whoever is meant for me will not go and be with someone else. So actually it's just opening me up to the right person. And I wished them all the best. And she meant it. Mm. And there was so much peace and maturity in that. And that also like, I, I heard that about a year ago now. And that completely as well shifted my, the way that Perfection. I deal with forgiveness. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, I suppose surrounding yourself with people who adopt that viewpoint is bound to have some impact on you. And that might be one gateway for the rest of us who struggle with forgiveness to become mm. better at it. Um, it's interesting that you say you adopt the view that people are doing the best they can, because certainly some issues that I have had with, you know, sometimes family members, mm. is that I don't, feel, I don't feel that they're doing the best that they can. And I perhaps I'm guilty of judging them according to um, the way that I view the world and the education that I've received both emotional and you know more general education which they may not have benefited from mm. trying to get to that place is um, not always easy but what what I suppose can be easier is to forgive somebody at a distance when you don't have to be around that person then I do sometimes find it's easier to forgive yeah, for sure. I mean, and the thing about that them doing the best they can is I think it's tricky when you know that they can do better. But the point is they're doing that the best that they can at that point in time. It's a bit like, and you know, because we're the same. I know that I, you know, 
the, the other day I like had a completely ridiculous reaction to something. I mean, honestly, I was like a toddler and I looked at myself afterwards. I was like, wow, Emily, that was, <laughs> that was so stupid. But you know, at that point in time, that was not my most mature Emily self, but mm. we can all have, but, but <clears throat> in that moment I couldn't do any better, you know, mm. that's just yeah. what came out. Yeah. And I think it's having compassion for that. And I mean, it's like I met someone recently who was telling me that they were with someone for a, over a decade, like a really long time, and they were engaged. And then they found out that this person had been dating someone whilst they were engaged, some kind of insane story. She was understandably deeply hurt and frustrated, but the mind, the ego was kind of like, and how could he, and, da, 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 and, and now with this girl, and just, just you know, it was like a, an endless loop. Yeah. And I said, you know, <clears throat> you're allowed to be sad and you're allowed to be angry. That's completely valid. But why, like, you just have to take a step back. Why would you want to be with someone who treats you like that? You know, the mind wants to win. We think that then because we feel kind of slighted in some way, we want to win. We want to be right. We think that the relationship ending, you know, means that it's failed in some ways. You know, and I actually had someone say that, that oh, relationships ending is a failure. And I'm like, what's the failure? The failure would be spending your life with someone that you're miserable with. Mm -hmm. So when something like this happens, yes, it's painful. Yes, it hurts. But actually, thank the Lord that I don't have to spend my life with the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure someone will listen to this and be like, but they were the right person. And I've thought that too in the past. But actually, you know when you're in that situation, like the mind is so strong that you convince yourself that a lot of things are acceptable. And I think with time and distance, you start to see that there are things that maybe weren't so good and something that helped me. And I think I, that I've told you about is, you know, when a relationship ends, I actually got this from um, Amelia Liana's podcast for anyone who wants to look it up, but she works with a woman called Shelly Whitehead. And you write a list of 30 things that you can do now that the relationship is, has ended that you couldn't have done if you were together or 30 benefits of the relationship ending. And there are always 30 and then maybe it'll take you a few days or a week, but once you compile them, it's really empowering to give you a new perspective and framework. Yeah. I mean, the reality, isn't it, that it's easy, easier the further away you are from the relationship, but when you're in it, the subjectivity and the complexity of the affection and the attachment, you know, mm. is, is, is bound to color your viewpoints. Um, and so it, it's understandable that it takes time and space away from that to develop uh, a different perspective and for your perspective to evolve. But certainly, you know, part of being compassionate, I suppose, is being compassionate to that process of anger and frustration. Mm. And, um, but, I think it is, mm, but I think it is also a choice in the sense that you have to be like something I remember someone once told me was you have to ask yourself, does this decision or this thought that I'm engaging with, or, you know, like when the mind goes into a mind loop, is it helping me or hindering me? Is it helping me move forwards or not? And you have to be quite tough with yourself because I know that with a recent breakup, or, you know, one that's in the last five years as opposed to the last 15, I didn't want to let go of it because there was something in my mind that felt that if I was to let go and love someone else, that would mean that maybe I was wrong about how much I thought that this person was meant to be. And yeah. I, I didn't want to let it go, you know, and I was almost addicted to my state of kind of trying to find meaning or trying to feel these things. And I mean, eventually it got exhausting. And I just said, fuck it. And 
you know, thank God. But it, it did take time. But if I'm very honest with myself, I was choosing to kind of feed that cycle for much longer than I needed to. Yeah. I mean, with that in mind, what's the best advice that you've ever received in life? It doesn't have to be breakup related. It could be anything. Well, I don't know if it's the best advice I've received in life in general, um, but there are two pieces of it pieces of advice I suppose that I came across recently or that have stuck with me recently that have been at the forefront of my mind the first of which is a quote by Seamus Heaney who is a, a Northern Irish poet and Nobel laureate who said that you know even when all hopes are dashed hope must be maintained mm. and I always go back to it that even when things are really bad that you must maintain hope um, and I, I love that quote, and that's something that I find very helpful um, mm. in general. And the other one is a little bit more practical, which is, I don't know who said it, but change a little, change a lot. I struggled to try and get a meditation routine, and I, I tried to do too much too soon. And so now I've made a routine in the morning where I just do one minute every morning. And that's something that I've been able to implement for quite a while now. And so just little tweaks, little adjustments to the sale can mm. change your trajectory quite somewhat. So change a little, change a lot has been something that's been really helpful for me in kind of all domains of my life most recently. So, so those would I be love that. for me. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. What, you know, I've never you? heard the second one. What about you? What about me? Hmm. There are so many. I have so many kind of. Um, do you remember when we used to fill in pupillage applications? Sometimes it was a question on a form, which was, you know, what's your life motto or things like that. God. And yeah. I know <laughs> the one. It's not the best advice I've ever received, but it's it's. Um, but one that I, I really like, and funnily enough, I haven't thought about it until this conversation with you now in years, actually. But it says, the same water that softens the carrot hardens the egg it's not about the circumstances but what you're made of I love that one it's a reminder to me that you know no matter the circumstances on the outside you we again we choose our <laughs> response to it so you don't have to be a victim of your circumstance yeah yeah um yeah <laughs> what's the best advice I've ever received hmm love can have a different face what does that mean that means that that's actually something I was, yeah, that, that's a, a new one I was told, but actually had a huge shift. Again, we get so, we get so stuck. Our mind gets so stuck on things being a certain way or with a certain person. Mm. And often, you know, when we, and you can change love for any emotional feeling, love, joy, adventure, you know, what we like about that is the feeling. And that, that feeling is not just with another person. It's, it's through you and then exchanged with another person. But it's, you know, just because you lose a love doesn't mean you won't love again. Um, mm. Just because you lose a loved one, you know, like even if we're talking about family members, doesn't mean that you won't still feel their presence and still feel that love and, and, and create new family units. Yeah. It's interesting because when I sometimes come across quotes and poetry, I've no idea what they mean. I've no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> and it was, the same, it was the same sometimes when I would walk into lectures in English 
and they'd lecture for 40 minutes and myself and no one else had a clue what they were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll save we'll save the imposter syndrome for a, for another um podcast but you mentioned one thing earlier mm. you were talking about I think the first quote um mm. and you said something about victimhood mm. um and I was thinking recently that the victim complex and the victim mentality, which we all slip into at points, we've got to be careful of because certainly I can think of one person in particular who adopted that complex quite a bit. And it mm. almost prohibits you from taking responsibility for your own contribution and improving yourself going forwards and improving the circumstance. If everything yeah. happens to you, then yeah. you lose a certain agency, I suppose. It's shifting from everything happens to you to everything happens for you. And one of the, again, a, a very profound shift in perspective was, um, as you know, my sister was born very disabled with a lot of health issues. And it was deeply, obviously deeply impactful on the family, like on the family mm. unit, on the family dynamics. But there were family members who... Like, and I think it's probably something that people who, anyone who has a disabled child might struggle with, which is in a way the disabled child becomes your identity because yeah. it becomes such a big part of what you have to, you know, how you plan your day, going to all these appointments, you know, you probably have to stop working. Uh, but what was very interesting is I remember, I mean, it was actually my mom that had this conversation with someone who said, so my mom was sitting with someone and was, was, understandably saying how how hard it had been um but I do think that there was a, a, a part of projecting the emotion onto the child so oh you know it's so hard to see my daughter suffer it's so hard to see this that the other and I think that's also probably a very maternal thing to some degree but there was an element of not taking responsibility for one's own emotions and this woman looked at her and said but your daughter's not suffering you are and mm. You know, my sister is joyful. My sister knows yeah. no other way. My sister is, is yeah, she goes through these horrendous surgeries every year and, and, and she's had a really, you know, rough time from our perspective. But her as a human, she is so joyful. And so actually we feel pain for like, oh, but she won't have a life the way that we had it. Or she, you know, she's restricted in these things, but she, she doesn't know any differently. And so sometimes we think that we're feeling like compassionate pain for someone, but actually are we just you know, feeding our own narrative again of poor me, poor this, poor whatever. Mm. That was a big one for me. Yeah, that's interesting. Although mm. I suppose that part of love and attachment and affection is that some of those feelings are interwoven. So it can be hard to discern what belongs to you and what belongs to the other person. Mm. Um, and that's probably just part of being human. But mm. yeah, that's a very interesting one. Well, it's funny because yeah. there was a, it reminds me actually of, um, gosh, all, the, all of the gems are coming out. This is great. I had a conversation recently with someone and they, they were saying that they wanted to feel more of a certain thing in their life. So they wanted to feel more freedom. And mm. I was saying how often we think that we want to feel more freedom and we see that as going outside or like, you know, wanting to escape in some ways. And so mm. I said, actually, the question is, how can you how can you and so you take responsibility for it how can you bring more freedom into your everyday life how can you make yourself feel more free and then once you figure that out 
You can tell me or people around you, how can we help you feel more free? Yeah. How can we help you feel those things? But again, I think there's, there's people forget that they have the power. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly you um, can fall into a habit of being reactive to life as opposed to proactive and in reality we're not we're, we're not that complex creatures but i think often we don't get the conditions right mm. um we don't get sleep right we don't eat properly we drink too much people abuse drugs they don't get enough exercise all of those kind of basic conditions oh my gosh absolutely and it's like we um you know, there was, a, again, a, a great meme going around, but, you know, people were complaining and going to the doctor saying, oh, I, you know, I don't feel well and then being prescribed medication. And actually it was like, just, as you said, exercise, sleep, have a break, dance, do things that bring you joy. You will feel much better, but it's like we've forgotten that they're, we've forgotten the simple things are the important things. Yeah. Um, but I actually wanted to tell you something, which is on the kind of the flow of life, the weirdest thing happened. So, you know, that I had this episode, um, so the last one, which was with Hadir about Montessori schooling, I don't know if you've heard it, but my friend Lena called me afterwards and said, oh, I'm, I just had the episode. I'm so interested to learn more about Montessori. And what's, what's wild is the way I met Hadir is I literally met her on the beach like a few weeks ago. I mean, I, I don't know her. We don't, you know, it, it, was, it was really life brought us together. Yeah. And she's opening, as she was saying on the episode, she's opening her own nursery, but it's been postponed by a year for various reasons. So she's opening in September 2023. And I was having coffee with her yesterday and she says, oh, I've actually just got a job offer in Dubai. I'm moving and for a year, for the year that my, whilst, you know, the nursery can't open and I'm going to be working in a, in a nursery or like Montessori school over there. And I said, that's so, that's crazy. My friend Lena um lives in Dubai let me tell her and you know she's been asking me about Montessori it turns out Lena's daughter is starting school at the nursery where her dear is going to teach God. isn't that weird it is weird isn't yeah. I mean what are the odds I actually oh, okay. I, I no no it's 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 crazy I'm going to move on to just because I love this story so much and I really want everyone else to hear it too. Will you tell us the story about when you took driving lessons? Oh, Emily, it's, it's not actually that funny. but it's, so um... funny. it's funny because let's just set, let's just set the context. It's funny because yeah. a lot of the, the, the work that we did as junior lawyers involved car accidents and people learning how to drive so what's <clears throat> funny to begin with is that we don't actually drive that much but we're often telling people how they should drive okay so that's a base context well yeah and and, and relevant to that context is that people that i would be representing a course for driving violations or whatever would say to me oh look you know yourself in other words assuming that i drove assuming that they're representative <laughs> and knew their way around the roads and knew all of these various different um uh, driving techniques and rules and idiosyncrasies and if i just nod along uh, like yeah 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 of course i know what you're talking about um but so i decided that i needed driving lessons then i needed to learn how to drive so got some lessons i was on lesson three going round roundabouts in gear three or in gear four, no idea, I can't remember, but it was certainly I was progressing and I was getting 
multiple compliments from the driving instructor on my uh, <laughs> fitness to learn. And then I, I said to her in the course of the conversation, you know, is there anything I need to, when I'm practicing at the weekends, you know, when I go out with my brothers? And she said, well, obviously you need your license, etc." And I said, what license? And she said, you're a professional license. Don't you have a license? I said, no, I thought I would be covered by yours. <laughs> her, her face drops. Stopped the car, got out got back into the town it's like I cannot continue lessons if you don't have a provisional license <laughs> but I also thought and it was genuine that I thought I was covered by her license what what prospect would I have of persuading a course having represented in road traffic accidents <laughs> that I did not know that you needed a provisional license <laughs> please don't please don't report me please don't report I, me. I just well the thing is I think surely the duties on her as the instructor and you and as the as the well, student I'm, in her class that, that, to make that's sure that's what my that's what my representative would say <laughs> don't worry i'll represent you but that is what i would say and i think it's a valid argument i mean you know it, it, the same way because jokes aside we take the analogy of driving because it's something that's very common but at the same time let's say that you're a criminal barrister and you're representing you know a drug dealer mm. i don't have knowledge of drug dealing how am i supposed to know you know yeah 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 um, um but I mean it's not it's it's not dissimilar to doing a whole course at university by accident because they had included it on my academic academic timetable. So I did I went to Stop. classes every <laughs> I went to classes I went I went to classes every week. I did the summer exams, I did the dissertation, Stop it. Stop it. I did the I did the essays. And I got a call after my final. These were my finals, by the way. So I added a ninth exam onto already eight exams, which is quite a lot. And I got a call from the school and they said, we were wondering why you did that course. Because you didn't need to. And I said it was statistics. <laughs> and, I, and, and I said, well, it was on my academic timetable. And they said, oh, well, you should have consulted the handbook. <laughs> Why would you consult the handbook? They've given it to you. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And I said, I've never read the handbook and I don't intend on reading it. Um, but then I walked into the school after to collect my results and I bumped into one of the senior professors who told me that the whole school of professors was laughing at the senior sophister who'd done a whole course on statistics in her finals for no good I reason. Hope they gave you a, I hope they gave you a special award or something. Well, they gave me a credit for doing it, but I didn't need I didn't need the course. And, you know, what's most irritating is that I cannot tell you one thing about statistics. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, This has been amazing. You just don't know what you don't know. Well, it's it's Jahari's window. It's the unknown unknowns. Mm -hmm. We're coming up to the end of the episode. But before we go, the way I end every episode is with ask me anything so you can ask me anything that you would like before we close out oh you caught me on the spot that's fine anything that comes to mind big small silly profound what career might you have chosen if you hadn't gone into law oh good question i would have been i really wanted to be a diplomat because I wanted to travel the world. I love languages. It's the only thing I miss in my job actually is using my languages. But I went, I chose, I decided against it because as you know, I hate being told what to do. 
Yeah, um, I was going to say diplomacy is not our strongest suit. <laughs> nor, nor is conflict resolution. <laughs> I disagree. I think I'm great at conflict resolution. All right. Well, I'm just referring to myself then. <laughs> and I think you're probably better than you. We work in conflict resolution. Well, sometimes I like to add fuel to the fire. I like to throw a grenade in. Well, that's what, that's what, that's you and uh, the friend that I've introduced you to recently are the same in that regard. So you can just go for drinks together and add fuel to each other's fire. I was just, oh, I was just going to, I was just going to say that we need an update from him on the crazy married woman who's chasing him and whether he's bought a bunny rabbit yet. Why would he buy a bunny rabbit? He sent me a bunny rabbit emoji. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, well, it's a, it's a reference to fatal attraction and the bunny boiler. Because she boiled the bunny rabbit, Glenn Close, in the, in the film Fatal Attraction. Oh, I haven't seen You've it. You've not seen it? Oh my God, no. it's a classic. You've definitely got to see it. It's brilliant. Okay. I'll yeah. watch it. Yeah, well, she's obviously mental. So I hope that there's been no further contact. But <laughs> she's plenty of contact. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. You have made my day. And Honestly, I have the biggest smile on my face. Thank you for trusting in the process and for your okay. honesty and your energy. Sending right, you lots of love. Bye. Thank you for joining The Wizard in the World. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much for all your support. We can't wait until next time. Until then, don't forget to stay magic.